2: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and back with me today for our bi week mailbag episode is the star of the Glory UGA podcast, my Charlie. Charlie, how are you?
0: I'm not the star.
2: You are the star? No, I'm not. According to at least five listeners, (laughs) you are the star of the podcast. So
0: embrace
2: it. Embrace it. Um, Charlie, I know you love college football. I know you love the Georgia Bulldogs, but I also know that you love a good bye week. I do. I know you do. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you right now about this bye week? 10. Really?
0: Yes. What is it Although about Although I weeks? wish there were better games on.
2: It seems to always work out that way. Like our bye week is like middle of the year. So I guess it's when a lot of teams are hitting their bye week and the schedule, the slate just usually isn't all that killer. And uh, we're kind of running into that again, which sucks, but it's it's still a nice bye week.
0: Still enjoyable.
2: What do you do in the bye week? Sleep. Catch up on sleep.
0: Yep. Tours I mean, around the house. Run the ath half.
2: I mean, I don't want to speak for you. I know I live for Georgia football. So going to games. This is this is my life. This is what I live for. And I know you love. I don't know. I don't know if I want to put those words in your mouth and say you live for Georgia football. But I know it's high up there on your list. So clearly, we love this stuff. But why do you love the bye week so much when the dogs aren't playing?
0: Well, because we go to all the games, home and away, so it's nice to have a weekend to relax and not run all over the place.
2: Football season, especially for us in this podcast, now we're doing four episodes a week, or I'm doing four episodes a week, it's like I'm going 100 miles an hour all the time during football season, which it's awesome. I love it. Again, I live for this, but it's nice to be able to kind of just relax and take a deep breath and go, okay, let's just pause, chill, and hopefully not have any more injuries this week. Yeah. Coming out like that's my big concern this week is like, please, dear God, let's just not have anyone get hurt for some ungodly reason during the bye week. In fact, like, should we even practice? I know we have to practice, but can we just do walkthroughs? Yeah. At this point in the bye week, like, I just don't want anyone else plan. to get hurt. Please, no one else get hurt. So, anyway, Charlie, obviously, the win over, over Kentucky, taking control of the SEC East, that was the highlight of the weekend. But do you know what was a close second for me? No. Charlie. Did you not step foot outside over the weekend?
0: Oh, the weather? Did
2: you not open the door Saturday morning and walk into that crisp chill in the air?
0: It wasn't chilly on Saturday morning. Saturday morning was chillier than it has been. It was a nice crisp chill. No.
2: Okay, maybe Sunday morning. I
0: was very hot. Sunday, okay.
2: Well, no, okay. Okay, you're right. Maybe not so much Saturday morning. I'm getting my days mixed up here. Sunday morning was definitely a crisp crisp chill in the air. Sure. And Saturday night got a little chilly.
0: Yeah, but night Saturday morning.
2: Saturday morning, you're right. It was about 60 Saturday morning. So, yeah, okay. Not chilly. But at some point this weekend, the weather started to make the change. And I think, Charlie, I think we can say now it's officially fall. Can we? Can we go that far?
0: I mean, it's been fall.
2: But, like, the weather hasn't been fall weather. I think we're finally hitting fall weather. Supposed to be. Hopefully. That's the case. And you and I have got to hang out on tailgate for a little bit. Actually, after the game Saturday. Did you notice what I had on?
0: Oh, your pullover? Did, did you
2: notice? Know, no. It's a Q-zip, Charlie.
0: Okay. A pullover. It's a Q-zip. Okay. Quarter zip. Same thing. Quarter
2: zip. Yeah. Same how good? Thing. How good did I look?
0: I mean, you always have on something new.
2: <laughs> I look like an idiot at all times. That's the, the, the real answer. I'm an idiot at all times. Yes, but... The Q zip that I was wearing was awesome. Do you know where I got said Q zip? Alumni Hall. God, I sound like such an idiot saying Q zip, don't I? Yeah. I'm, I'm saying that you, I'm saying this just to annoy you, right? Because I know that bothers you.
0: I mean, I'm ignoring the
2: pullover, you. the quarter zip. I got it from Alumni Hall, and I mean, I know Do you. Do you have
0: all of the pullovers from Alumni Hall?
2: Well, I have it in red, black, and gray. So Johnny all O. Of them? I, I'm new to Johnny O. I've never worn Johnny O. before, but I'm I'm kind of branching out, trying it out, and early returns, Charlie very high quality stuff. Nice fit, nice, nice feel. Love it. It's hard to find like like the way my body is shaped. It's hard for me to find something that fits me just right. And Johnny O is working for me. So you can go get yours today at Alumni Hall. But if if you're more into Nike, Peter Millar, Nike Golf, Cutter and Buck, Columbia, whatever it is, they have all the brands you could imagine. All the cold weather gear is hitting the shelves right now. So go in today. It's inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center in Athens. Or if you're not local here in Athens, you can just go online like you can with everything these days, alumnihall.com and do your shopping right there from the comfort of your home. So get ready for the fall weather, the winter weather, I guess, will be here before we know it. I know you hate that, Charlie, so get ready for that and visit Alumni Hall today. But all right, Charlie, I know we got a ton of questions to get to today. What do you got for me?
0: All right, our first question comes from Jay Rake. He wants to know if you would rather go with a healthy JT or stick with Stetson. For the Florida game, Jay Rake says that he would choose JT Daniels because he's a quicker decision maker in the pocket. And in a split second, that can be a big difference. Whereas Stetson, yeah, he can scramble during a game. But overall, Jay Rake thinks JT Daniels is the better quarterback for that game. What do you think?
2: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, this continues to be the question of the hour. It's been by far the most popular question, the most popular topic all season long, at least for our podcast, the DMs we get, the tweets we get, the emails we get. This is clearly the question of the season. It's the question of the hour. It is the question of the moment, and it will probably continue to be that really all the way throughout the season. Even if JT does come back, I don't think that question's going away unless when he comes back, he just like puts the question to bed entirely and has like a 450-yard game, like 70-plus percent completion percentage, five touchdowns that kind of performance might put the question to bed. But at this point, you guys know how the media works. They have their narrative. It's Georgia's quarterback controversy or Georgia's quarterback situation or whatever you want to call what we've got going on right now at the quarterback position. You know, the media loves to kind of stir things up and Stetson's a great story and JT's kind of a high-profile guy, former quarterback at USC, comes over here to Athens, and there's a whole situation last year. So it's just a juicy, sexy narrative for the media, the national Coshwell media, and the local Coshwell media as well, to kind of sink their teeth into. And as a show of the people, we are contributing to that by answering your questions. We know you guys have interest in it, and we want to make sure we're talking about the things that you guys want us to talk about. After all, this show is for you guys, so We talk about it. We've been talking about it each and every week, and this week, as you can imagine, is no different. I didn't think it would be, and sure enough, got a couple questions here about the quarterback position, which we are happy to discuss, because it is important. Let's be honest here. The reason there's so much interest around it is because it is the most important position in college football. In any level of football, it is the high-profile position. It is the alpha position. That's why there's so much interest around it. And those of you who listen each and every week, you pretty much know where I stand on this. At least I think that you do, because I say the same things often. But I, I will say my, my thinking on this has evolved a little bit over the past couple of weeks. Coming into the season, you guys know I, I, I was very forward in saying that I did not think that we could win a national championship with Stetson Bennett based off what I saw in his performances last year. We saw evidence that we could win a lot of SEC games with Stetson Bennett, but against the best teams, we did not see that happen. Now there is context there. Alabama on the road, even though it was a COVID environment, that was the national champion. That was the eventual national champion most teams aren't going to look great against the eventual national champion. Most quarterbacks don't have like their most prolific performances against Alabama. So yeah, I know he didn't play particularly well in the second half. First half, I thought he played pretty well. He certainly didn't miss some throws, miss some reads in that first half, but you know, we had the league going to halftime. Now we saw the second half and that happened. It's hard to to forget that. Florida, I know we lost that game, but let's not forget. Let's not be revisionist here. Stetson, Played well. We had, we had a two touchdown lead early in that game, and then he gets hit, and the shoulder gets all jacked up, and he has to go out of the game, and then it was a disaster from there. But as I said last year, and I said coming the season, I thought JT gave us the best chance to win. I thought he raised the ceiling of this team, and there were plenty of numbers to back up those assertions. I absolutely still believe that we can win a national championship with JT Daniels. I still at this point believe that JT Daniels does raise the ceiling of our offense. I think he is a more accurate pre- passer. I think he's a little bit more decisive. I, I do not worry as much about him. i say I don't have any worries at all. You guys know I work. I just have a lot of worries at all times when it comes to Georgia football, but I don't have as many worries when it comes to JT Daniels trying to fit balls into tight windows, taking those risky kind of gunslinger mentality type throws that Stetson's good for at least, you know, a time or two every single game where it's like, oh my God, what just happened? And most of the time we get away with it, sometimes not so much. And the numbers still do speak for themselves. You can't just completely throw that away. So I do think JT, if 100% healthy, I still think from a talent standpoint, from a polish standpoint, he gives us a higher ceiling offensively. However, Stetson has made me a believer this season. I now believe that we can win a national championship with Stetson Bennett. I do not think Curtis agrees with me. I think he's maybe getting closer to that. A couple weeks ago, we talked about it About that, on the uh, recap episode, I think maybe after the Arkansas game. And Curtis was not a believer. I don't think he still is at this point either. Maybe he's a little bit closer. But Stetson has made me a believer with what we have around him, the way this team is structured. I think Stetson can lead us to a national title. A part of that is also because I think Stetson Bennett is a better version of himself than the Stetson Bennett that we saw last year. Stetson Bennett that we saw last year was incredibly inexperienced. It was, I don't want to say miraculous, but um, it was highly impressive with how little experience he had at this level that he was able to come out and win multiple SEC games against maybe not elite teams, but good, solid SEC teams. And like any player, the more Rep Stetson gets, the more experience that he has, the more he's going to improve. There is no replacement for reps. That's just a fact, guys. The more you get out there and play, the better you're going to get. Like, look at Keely Ringo, for example. Really inexperienced. Had a not great performance, let's say that, right? Certainly not an awesome performance against Clemson. A couple just really bad PIs in that game. But you know what? With more reps, every single game, Keely Ringo is getting better and better and better. That's just how it works. And I think that's where the people who are anti-Stetson, and maybe calling them anti-Stetson is a step too far, maybe it's not that they're anti-Stetson, but they don't believe in Stetson. And they don't believe that he can win a national title here at Georgia. I think that's where they're making a mistake. I think that's where they're going wrong. They're acting as though Stetson and his ability is just static. That there has been no growth and there cannot be any growth. What they saw last year against Alabama, what they saw last year at different points, maybe against Florida, I guess people hold that against them, which I don't really understand why, because I thought he played pretty well in that game. But what they saw last year in the biggest moment, the biggest stage against the national champion in Alabama, they cannot let that go. To them, that is who Stetson Bennett was, that's who Stetson Bennett is, and that's who Stetson Bennett will always be in their minds. And that's where I disagree a little bit with people of that mindset. Stetson Bennett is like any other football player. He can get better. Stetson has a lot of room to improve. We saw that last year, right? Because he hadn't played that much. And I think you're seeing Stetson Bennett grow up in front of our eyes and get better and better each week. Now, he still has those one or two throws a game where it's like, oh, dude, let's not do that. Let's not put the ball in harm's way like that. But I think you're seeing that less frequently than you have in the past. And one thing I'd also say about Stetson, you know, people give him a hard time. I said this on the recap episode earlier this week. I've heard so many people talk about how, you know, we can't push a ball vertically down the field. Without JT, like we're just a different offense. Coaches don't trust him to try to stretch the defense vertically, all those kind of things. That just isn't true. Just watch us play. And then if you don't believe your own eyes, look at the numbers. He is leading the SEC right now in yards per attempt 12.1 yards per attempt. Now, is it a smaller sample size? Yeah, sure. But Stetson Bennett is being asked to take shots down the field. He's taking those shots down the field. And more often than not, he's hitting those shots down the field. Now, is every vertical pass he's going out there. Is it an absolute dime? No, it's not. But I don't understand why we nitpick Stetson Bennett to the degree that we do. And we don't do that for other quarterbacks. Like We don't do that for JT. Like We don't nitpick every single throw that JT makes. And Newslash, guys, I love JT. He's awesome but JT's not perfect either. JT makes bad throws, all right? Think about last year when he came back, guys, all those deep balls he was trying to throw down the field that just hung up in the air. Think about that Cincinnati game with the Peach Bowl. I mean, there were at least three easy layup touchdowns that Todd Munkin dialed up that JT just didn't hit. Just didn't hit. Just flat out did not hit them. That's fine. He's come back off injury and all those things, but it bothers me that Sometimes in some cases we eat our own and like we go out of our way. Some people in the famous fan base go out of their way to just look for and magnify any shortcoming in certain players. They did it with Jake Fromm, they're doing it with Stetson Bennett. And I I, I don't subscribe to that because I think all guys are flawed. Everybody makes mistakes. Even the best players on our team, even Jordan Davis guys makes mistakes on, on plays. All right. Brock Bowers, we love Brock Bowers, he's made play after play for us. Missed a couple of key blocks in that game against Kentucky that potentially could have been scores or set up scores or at least set up big explosive plays. Even guys like that aren't perfect on a down-to-down basis. And it just frustrates me that sometimes some of us hold certain players to different standards than they hold other players to. But anyway, getting back to Stetson and JT and back to the original question, I know I kind of got a little off track here. But back to Jay Rick's original question, if JT's back fully, 100% healthy, Stetson still being the Stetson we've seen so far this season, who do I go with going into the Florida game if JT's healthy? For me, I'm going to stick with this. I, I do think that we have a higher upside in offense with JT. Okay, so I'll stick with that. However, I will also say I think we can win with Stetson Bennett. I think we can continue to win at a high level with Stetson Bennett. I personally think that Stetson could win a game with his arm if he's asked to, if we have to do that, if someone's able to slow down our run game, which they haven't been able to do when he's been our quarterback. But if that was the case, I do think he could do it. I just haven't seen it yet, so I don't have as much confidence in that. I don't have the evidence to, to kind of go off of like I do with J.T. Daniels, we saw it last year against Mississippi State. We saw it against Cincinnati. We could not run the football to save our lives in either one of those games, and we were still able to find a way to win, largely because of what J.T. Daniels was able to do in the passing game. And again, I'm not saying Stetson can't do it. I'm just saying I don't have the evidence that he's done it yet. I do have that evidence with J.T., but here is the other thing, all right? Here is the other thing. Who do the players in the locker room trust? Who do they have more faith in? Who are they behind? It's almost impossible for us to know that, right? Unless you know someone on the team and you talk to them. It's just really hard to know that. I think when you're talking about the quarterback position, how much a leader that player has to be for the offense, I think that is a factor that has to be considered because a team does rally around its quarterback. And I'm not saying by any stretch of imagination the players don't trust JT. I have no reason to believe that's the case. We heard all offseason. In fact, I know some people around the program who said he did a great job being leader this offseason and really earned the trust and respect of all his teammates. But has Stetson kind of won them over with how he's handled this whole process and how he's performed the past couple weeks? I don't know the answer to that, but that's something that coaches are going to have to factor in this decision as well. And just, I hope to God that JT does get healthy so our coaches have two really good options to choose from. Because the fact is, guys, I've said this before, I think we have two SEC starters in our quarterback room. And I don't know if there are many other programs in the in the league or even around the country that can say that. We saw Penn State lose game to Iowa a couple weeks ago. Again, they had no business losing. They would have won that game by two plus touchdowns if Sean Clifford didn't get hurt in the first half. He got hurt and they had nobody behind him. Will Levis, their backup, former backup, had transferred to Kentucky. He's playing for Big Blue Nation right now, and they lost that football game. So we're in a really fortunate spot right here, uh, but I, I really just hope that JT gets healthy so that we have the best options to choose from. And uh, right now, we should have put our our, our trust in the coaches to make the right decision because they're the ones around the team that practice every day. And it's fun for us to talk about it, but we just don't have all the information to operate off of like our coaching staff does.
0: All right, our next question comes from Cliff. He wants to know, what did Kentucky do differently with their offensive attack that exposed the dogs? He thought the Wildcats offense was making great calls and at times taking advantage of of aggressive play from UGA. So, what adjustments should Dan Lanning make as other teams will certainly copy their game plan?
2: Thanks for the question, Cliff. You know, we always appreciate it, buddy. Um, I'm going to say, though, Cliff, I personally don't think Kentucky had all that much success against our defense. I mean, yeah, they, they did convert too many third downs for my liking, 9 and 19 third downs that's too many, but I think four or five of those came on the very last drive, and we were certainly playing a, a different philosophy def- defensively than we normally do with the game well out of hand. We were not being near as aggressive, and that's just not indicative of how, how we play on a game-by-game game and drive-by-drive drive basis, but we still, even without I mean, coming into that last drive, and yeah, it was, and I did not like the last drive. Trust me, I did not like it, but there's context there. They had four downs to work with. We were up 30-7. to seven. We were not, Certainly not playing with the same aggressiveness, the same level of aggressiveness that we typically do. But still, regardless, when a 22-play drive, 11-plus minute drive, like that's unheard of. And they converted a couple third, more than a couple third downs, a couple fourth downs on that drive. So I didn't love that. But coming to that drive, I think they had like 150 yards total offense prior to that very last drive of the game for them and at the end of the day we held them to 243 yards we held them to 51 yards rushing we held the SEC's leading rusher to seven yards rushing on seven carries we held Wondell Robinson who's who's like playmaker personified to 39 yards through the air I mean yeah he had 12 catches but 39 yards that's what they do they try to get him in space a little short you know little hitches little screen games kind of stuff all that type of thing and just let him go make plays and we didn't allow that to happen so I think our defense actually did a good job. Now, Kentucky's, terrible. well, they're not terrible offensively. They're not a dynamic offense, to say that. And, and, and we probably should have done what we did to them. And, and yeah, the f- last drive did kind of frustrate me a little bit. And I guess if you look at the entire game where well, they had one scoring drive in the second quarter, uh, had a drive where they missed a field goal. So like they had like two and a half good drives on us uh, throughout the entire game. And yeah, that's more than I like. It's more than we're used to. We're, and it's it's one of those things that's crazy right now. Like we're, we're in this situation. Our defense has played so great that when a team scores 13 points on us get two touchdowns through the course of four quarters we're like oh my god what 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 just happened even though we held them 243 yards held held the SEC's leading rusher to seven yards on seven carries so I mean I I thought overall it it was a good performance it was now was it as dominant as some of the other performances we've seen, no, I think it's fair to say it wasn't as dominant. But I mean, we still had what with three sacks in the game. Then we had eight tackles for a loss in the game, so we were still aggressive up front. We were still disruptive up front. Now, some of the things that they did to kind of counteract some of the stuff that we do is they got the ball out of Levis's hands as quickly as they could. Obviously, you saw they were trying to slow down our pass rush, make make us think about that a little bit with a lot of this, a lot of screen game stuff. Um, they were doing a lot of uh, of play action stuff, like boots stuff, kind of getting him out of the pockets. He's a mobile guy. So they were doing some things like that, but I just don't think they had a ton of success throughout that game. Yeah, there were isolated drives here and there, but I think all in all, like, we still played really well on defense. It was sloppier than than, your, than you would like, and there was there were some soft spots in the zone there late in the game in that, on that final drive. But again, I just think we were playing a little bit differently than we normally do on that drive. So I'm not all that concerned. I don't know if there was anything that they did to expose deficiencies in our defense, to the degree that other offensive coordinators are gonna wanna copy what they did I mean, we're certainly going to continue to see screens. We're going to continue to see draws with mobile quarterbacks doing some different things with the quarterback run game to kind of counteract what we do and how aggressive we are coming after the passer. But the thing is, guys, like it's like you can run screens stuff like that because like when you watch our defense plays, like we're so disruptive right now in the front seven and we're creating so much havoc in the backfield. You would think we're doing that by blitzing heavily, and we're just not. It might look like we're blitzing heavily, but we don't. Again, you guys heard me say this many times. I define a blitz as bringing more than four defenders rushing the passer. We very rarely do that we just make it really hard on the offense because we use simulated pressure and do a fantastic job of disguising who's coming and also the fact that we have so many insanely talented athletes in that front seven front six whatever you want to call it these days that any of them can come after the passer, any of them can drop into coverage and play in space. And I'm including guys like Trevon Walker. I've seen I've even seen Devontae White and Jalen Carter actually drop into coverage before. We have so many guys, it just makes it really, really, really hard for them to identify who's coming and where they are coming from. So yeah, then the teams can try to run screens and draws to slow down the passers, but the thing is, is like we're not rushing that we're, we're not bringing pressure. Like it looks like we are, but we're really not. Now we are allowing our defensive linemen to play a little bit more one gap type stuff allowing them to be a little bit more aggressive than we have in years past. But I, I don't know if Kentucky really exposed anything all that dramatic in terms of like something that Dan Mullen, for instance, here in a couple of weeks will be able to exploit just based off what Kentucky was doing. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore.
0: All right, our next question is from Witt. Do you think we are utilizing Darnell Washington enough specifically in the red zone? Um, He says he feels like every time we draw something up for him, it's at midfield. And he thinks Brock is a way better guy to target outside the red zone, but thinks that we would have more success scheming Darnell up with a corner than just lobbing one to him in the red zone. So what do you think?
2: Darnell is your boy.
0: I do. He's uh, one
2: large human. He is a massive, massive dude, and like he, it's one of those things. Like he seems so big when you're so far away. Can you imagine how big he would seem if you're like right next to him?
0: Like a little mouse.
2: You're a little mouse.
0: You would feel like a I, little I guess mouse.
2: you. Yeah, I guess that's how you would feel. But this is a great question, Witt. It really is. And again, guys, go listen to Witt's podcast. It's a great kind of all-around sports podcast, Around the Keg. Check that out. I think you can get it pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. I think you guys would really definitely enjoy that if you enjoy this show. But it's a great question. And I think to this point, where Darnell's been back like three games, and he's been playing more extensively the past two games, I still don't think Darnell, just from watching, I don't think he's a quite 100% now he's getting closer and closer, and he's probably very close to that at this point. I think the bye week will certainly get him right there to about 100%, or at least about as close as he's going to be throughout the rest of the season. So I think when he first came back, clearly the first game, like there there was a pitch count there. Like We were certainly, we were using him, trying to work him back in, but we were not playing him as extensively as like he was playing at the end of last year, for instance. So I think that's part of it as well. And also you have the emergence of a guy like Brock Bowers, who clearly is, I mean, at this point, the best playmaker on our entire offense. He has become our go-to guy. So maybe he's cutting into Darnell's receiving opportunities at this point, but it's, it's a kind of a combination. Darnell hasn't played as much as he's working himself back into playing shape. And you got this guy, Brock Bowers, who's all everything as a freshman right now. But I do agree with the sentiment that we need to get Darnell more involved in the passing game. We're seeing a little bit more, but I really believe that we are just barely scratching the surface with what we can do with Darnell and what we can do with our tight ends in general. And tight ends are so valuable, guys. There's a reason why we are going crazy right now recruiting tight ends. There's a reason why Todd Munkin really likes 12 personnel with two tight ends, even 13 personnel we saw a couple times on Saturday with Darnell Bowers and John Fitzpatrick. There's a reason why we're going to get guys like Oscar Delp and Pierce Sperlin in 2023, and why those guys are still committing to the Georgia Bulldogs, even though our tight end room is as stacked as any tight end room in America at this point. The reason is because we are selling them on a vision that we're going to use all of them at the same time. We're going to use heavy 12 personnel, 13 personnel looks. And here's why it's so difficult to defend Twelve and thirteen personnel looks when you have tight ends that are like legit hybrid players that can block in line and also just absolutely kill you in the passing game. Guys like Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers, like Oscar Delp is going to be like Pierce Burrow is going to be in a couple years, and Fitzpatrick maybe to a little bit of a lesser degree, but still a good athlete and, and a hybrid ish tight end in his own right. What it does, guys. I think we talked about this a little bit on the recap episode, but just to kind of reiterate this, it's so valuable to have guys like that. I've told you guys like for years now hybridization has been the name of the game. It's been like the biggest trend the past couple years. Go to the NFL with like Travis Kelsey, those kind of guys that can block in line well enough. It could also just kill you in the passing game. And what makes him so valuable is that when they're in the game, when you have two tight ends that can block in the game and you run the ball as well as we do, defenses have almost no choice but to respond with bigger, heavier defensive personnel to stop the run game. Because if they don't, they sit there in their nickel package or a dime package, you're going to run right down their throat, just like we did to Arkansas. Arkansas tried to play with that 3-2-6 scheme. And I told you guys come to that game, we had to run the football and we did, and they couldn't stop it. They finally had to start bringing safeties down. Then we hit play action shots off that and hit some big explosive plays in the passing game. And same thing with Auburn as well. And you saw that also with Kentucky. It's been the same formula for like three weeks in a row. And so when you have those tight ends on the field like that and you use them and you're able to establish the run, the defenses have to get heavier. They have to get bigger personnel on the field to stop the run or you will gash them and beat them. And then when they do that, then now you have major matchup problems because now you've got Brock Bowers or Darnell Washington or whoever it is. You've got the mashup on an outside linebacker. You've got the up on an inside linebacker instead of a, a star or a safety. That is a problem for defenses. They're not going to be able to cover those guys because they are too good of receivers. They're too good athletes. They're just better athletically. Brock Bowers, could play receiver for us, guys, if we really wanted him to. He absolutely could. Guy runs a 4-5. You've seen him break away and leave secondary guys in the dust. I mean, how many explosive plays this guy hit? I mean, he had another one that was called bad because Justin Schaefer had just an absolutely ridiculous hole that didn't need to happen on that tight end screen. That would have been another big play for him. He would have had like 160 yards receiving in that game. It's just a problem for them because it, whatever you do, because what you want to do as an offense what Todd Munkin does and what he like, this is the reason why he likes 12 and 13 personnel, it puts the defense in conflict. That's the name of the game in offensive football. You want to put the defense in conflict. Now that can mean you're putting an individual player in conflict, like with RPOs, or it can mean you're just putting the defensive coordinator in this bind and putting the entire defense in conflict, making them choose between big personnel or lighter, more athletic personnel. And whatever they choose, if you have hybrid guys like Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers and Oscar Dell. They're going to be wrong. If they come with bigger personnel, you throw the ball. You go play action and they can't hang in coverage. If they go lighter personnel, that's fine. We'll run the ball right down your throat, just like we did against Arkansas. So it's it's truly really a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation because you're putting the defense in conflict. And that's what offensive football is all about. And Todd Munkin does that as well as anyone that I've seen. I don't want to say, you know, the best coordinator in America yet, but he coordinator I've seen at Georgia in a long time. I, I really believe him. I mean he is a stud and we are lucky to have him. But yes, I, I would like to see Darnell get more involved in the passing game and I think that he will. I do think you're right, Witt. In uh, in saying that he is a major untapped weapon in the red zone, I don't think we've had to use him in the red zones. Nothing Top Monkey does really well. We have some really great red zone packages. They're really doing a great job of scoring touchdowns in the red zone more often than not. And I think Darnell Washington is another tool in our chest. There, you're right. Line him about wide on a on a cornerback. You could force single coverage out there. Because I mean, a lot of times what you're going to see. Yeah, right there inside the five-yard line in the red zone, you're going to see a lot of man coverage. And uh, that's, a, that's a matchup problem. If you can scheme it up that way and get him one-on-one with a cornerback out wide, uh, as big, as physical as he is, you throw the ball up to him, he's going to win that more often than not if you put the ball remotely within his, his radius there. So I think you're exactly right there. And I do think that we will see more of Darnell Washington in the past game. And I do think before it's all said and done, he will become a red zone weapon for us because he needs to. He, he's absolutely an untapped weapon there in the red zone.
0: Dalton wants to know if Brock Bowers is the best tight end in the country, which, of course, you called this one. I didn't know
2: if you were going to read that last part, Charlie. I didn't know. I didn't know if you were going to read that last part. I give you credit
0: where credit is due.
2: Well, I appreciate that, Charlie. I I get plenty of things wrong. My picks last week were abysmal. We'll get to that later on this week. So I get plenty of things wrong. But Brock Bowers is a guy, yes, I called that one. I got to pat myself on the back just a little bit there but is Brock the best tight end in the country? I think we actually got this question from two different people, Uh, but Brock Bowers, best tight end in the country. I think you can certainly make that argument. I mean, he has, like I said earlier, he's become our go-to guy as a true freshman. Not only is he a reliable target, but he's an explosive target from that position, multiple hundred yard games. And I think obviously you you would imagine as as is the case with any freshman, his best football is still ahead of him. The one guy that comes to mind the top of my head here as I think about it is Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. I would still take Brock. I think Brock is more explosive than Mayer is. I think he's more of a threat um, to just to absolutely just break one as we saw earlier in the year. I mean it was that UAB that game where he just was a 89, 90-ish yard touchdown whatever it was. Uh, I don't think Michael Mayer has that kind of gear but Mayer's a little bigger a little bit more physical. He's really good trying to think tight ends off the top of my head I mean Billingsley from Alabama is good he's a little bit of a different tight end he's not quite as good of a blocker he's almost like just a wide receiver more or less like he's only tight end in like name only he hasn't played as much this year as he got in Saban's doghouse but I think he's a really talented guy I think he's gonna be an NFL player Charlie Kolar is really good at Iowa State I just got done watching the uh, Iowa State Kansas State game last night and why am I watching that because I just like college football I'm curious if Iowa State has a chance to beat Oklahoma, um, but Charlie Kolar is a good tight end. He's going to be an NFL player for sure. I think Bowers is better, I, I and I know it's crazy to say because Colar, I think, is a two-time All-American at tight end. I think Bowers is just more explosive. I, I really do. And you can call me a homer if you want. That's fine. And the fact is I've seen more of Bowers to be sure. So I'm more familiar with his game. I, I, I Right now with his explosiveness, his ability to just be a game breaker at tight end, also such a willing and an increasingly effective blocker on the outside and also in line as well. I, I think I would probably take Bowers. I really don't think it's a stretch to say Bowers is the best tight end in the country. That's crazy. That that's crazy. He's a true freshman. So yeah, you know what? What the heck? Let's say it. Yeah, Brock Bowers best tight end in America.
0: QB ReT hit three. Yeah, that's a. Did I read that correctly? Very, I
2: would Let's like to know like the origin of that name. It's like it's a great uh, username on Twitter. I don't Twitter, know. But
0: yeah. Would like to know why. We did,
2: appreciate you listening to the show. Definitely.
0: Would like to know why does UGA struggle in short yardage and is not very creative when they get into those situations.
2: We struggle in short yards right now when we try to run the football because we're not big enough on the interior. We've talked about this all year. We're just not big enough. We're not getting consistent movement. Still, the offensive line's blocking better. They're doing a better job. I think they've been really good in pass protection for us. I think that's something that's been kind of uh, undersold. I think they've done a really good job protecting the passer at this point. It's one of the reasons that both Stetson and J T have, have been really affected this year because they're not feeling a ton of pressure right now. They've done a great job there. And we've done a much better job in the run game as well. But if you watch us, we're still not getting consistent push on the interior. We're just not big enough there. We've got two centers playing. Warren Erickson and Cedric Van Praan are both centers. And by 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 definition, centers are just smaller. They're just smaller. And that's so I've been saying all year long. Like I would love to get Jamari Salyer or somebody else to step up at right guard. Not that, not that I don't think Warren Erickson. Is good. I think Harrison's fine. He's a good center. He's just not really built to play guard. I mean, Ben Cleveland, look at what we have with Ben Cleveland there. And you go from Ben Cleveland to Warren Erickson, you're just not going to get as much push. And when teams are dead set to stop us, you know, short yards right there between the tackles, uh, expecting us to run the football, we're just not getting that consistent movement there on the interior. And that's why we're having trouble running the ball in the short yard situations. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree that we're not as creative. We haven't been in a ton of short yard situations. I know Vandy stopped us once, and that should that's crazy. That should never happen. But, I mean, we're bringing some guys in. You're bringing Jordan Davis in. You're bringing uh, Jalen Carter in to play fullback. I don't know if that's overly creative. But I just say we haven't been in, in a ton of those situations. And the thing is, though, like if, if, let's say we're throwing the ball on – Fourth and short, right? Fourth and a half yard or something, and we and for whatever reason the ball is is not completed. The ball gets dropped or gets bad now, whatever. People are being screaming in their heads. Of, Why didn't you just run the football? Why didn't you run the football? So it's like as long as coordinator. If you get it, if you get the conversion, you're a hero. You're a genius. If not, no matter what you did, you're an idiot. Um, but I, I just think we haven't been in too many situations like that. I thought we did a fine job last year for the most part, considering the, the personnel issues that we had offensively. You know, there were times where I mean, it's been years, honestly. Where we've had issues, short yardage, but trying to run the football. I'm going back to Florida a couple years ago, right? What year was that? 2018, maybe 17, whatever year. Like, it was crazy. So that's been uh, something that's been an issue for a couple years across the board with you know, a couple of different offense coordinators. But right now, looking at this specific year, we're just not big enough on the interior. That's really what it comes down to. In the short yard situation, we're trying to run the football.
0: All right, our next listener, Jamie, wants to know what it's going to take for Kirby to bench Schaefer. Says, it certainly has to be time. Suggests moving Salyer inside and put Jones out there at left tackle. We have two weeks to get them all good reps. What's your take?
2: So, is this Curtis? The Curtis in this question in. Yeah, I feel well, like this is Curtis I mean, maybe using an alias. Name. I feel like this is probably Curtis because Curtis has been on this for, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say years at this point. But at this point, I don't know, man, I don't think it's going to happen. I think Schaefer's just got a, he's got a guard spot locked down. The coaches trust him. He does give us a, a, some size and some girth, some mass on the interior, which is something we don't have outside of him right now. So I do like him for that reason, but that mass and that size doesn't really help us so much when he's flopping around on the ground like a dead fish. Because I don't know how many times you you watch the game and you see this guy just rolling around on the ground. It's crazy. It's almost like Cade Mays. Cade Mays a couple years ago was always on the ground. Always, always. Could not stay on his feet to save his freaking life. And now Justin Schaefer's kind of taking that mantle. Now that's, that's his job. That's his role on the team. And then you just had the inexplicable grab of like the collar of the Kentucky defender when Bowers had a had a big play opportunity. They were just gonna score regardless. He didn't need to do it and just so things like that add up. But I do think Schaefer I think he's fine. I, I don't dis and Curtis doesn't dislike him. I am not as down on Schaefer as Curtis is. I know a lot of people in the fan base are as well. And like, I don't think Schaefer's particularly great. I really do not. But he, again he does give us some size on the interior. I wish he would stay on his feet a little bit more and stick on his blocks a little bit longer. Um, but I, I right now is just we don't have we don't have another option that's ready. I wish that we did. May like if our coaches trust me, guys. If they if they trusted Xavier trust more than Schaefer, he'd be in the game. Our coaches want to win. If they trusted Lindbergh more, he'd be in the game. If they trusted let's say Roger Jones out left tackle more and gave a chance to move Jamari in, then maybe you wouldn't have to have Schaefer out there. But right now we just those other guys just for whatever reason coaches who see them every single day at practice and are in the meeting rooms and they just don't think that they're ready they don't have the coaches' trust so I, I don't think that is going anywhere until after the season so we're just gonna have to to live with it he's he, he's not always bad guys like I, I know he, yes he misses some blocks and, and he falls on the ground and and wiggles around whatever he's doing down there but he he is good there are stretches where he does some good things for us and gets some movement I just wish it was a little bit more consistently
0: all right. Christopher wants to know, who do you think we will get back after the bye week?
2: Well, that is a great question. It's another question of the hour here today. Got A lot of great questions of the hour today. That's a great question. I know that at the top of the list, people are thinking, JT Daniels, JT Daniels, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. And I certainly hope he's cleared as well. I want whoever gives the best chance to win. I want him and Stetson to go out there and practice and battle it out. And I want the best man to be out there who gives us the best chance to win, and I and I think we're better off when both guys are fully healthy and, and competing. I think that that's just kind of how I view that situation. So I hope JT, but it's really hard to answer questions. We don't know um, based off what we know about these injuries. So like with JT, with the lat, I mean, it, it's just it's it's a it's a muscle thing, and it, rest is really the best medicine. So the bio gives him an extra week to rest. He had a couple weeks to rest. We know that he was starting to throw lightly. Last week, and he did more. I was told he did more last week than he did in the previous two weeks combined, which is a really good sign. And so hopefully he'll continue to progress and be ready to go. Um, I, w- I also heard that he was um, 30, 40 yard passes and it was fine, but not putting a lot of juice on it. So I, 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 it's just hard to know, man. It's just really hard to know when it comes to something like that. I'm hopeful, but I do not know for sure. Now, some of the other guys offensively, I think we'll get a lot of those guys back. Guys like Jermaine Burton, we saw, I think I saw him out there for a couple snaps, at least one snap. Uh, I don't know if any of you saw him out there, but I, he was close enough to be ready to play. We saw Marcus Roseman, Jack Saint, like a player two out there also. And uh, then he got ripped out because we was about to have a substitution penalty, and Kirby was mad and he didn't go back in. So I, I don't know if that was because of that or if it was more injury based or it was like hey, he's already kind of injured and then he just kind of screw, screwed up there. So like, it's just not even putting him out there right now. I think both those guys will be back ready to go. Arian Smith, man, like he's been, and I, I am not trying to dog the guy. I just, right now, it's just hard to understand. He. Got a deep bone bruise on his shin against UAB, guys. That was the second week of September. I mean, it's over a month now. And he's been out. I know it's. I know it's a bone bruising, and I've had bone bruises. They like they they are painful. They're very very painful, and you're gonna be limping with that for a while. And the shin's a tough spot. You put pressure on that with every step. I understand that, but it's like, man, like we're going on a month and a half now, and this guy's been out with like. A bad bruise, but a bruise. And it's like, woo, okay. So I'm hopeful. I know he's been getting closer. I'm hopeful. And I think there's a really good chance that he'll be back after the bye week. I would put the chances pretty high there. But, you know, he's got to work himself back into football shape because he hasn't been able to do as much. You know, he's doing, been doing some pool running and things like that. But, you know, it's not the same as out there, actually going out there and getting reps. I think he'll be back. So I think we're going to get close to not say 100% healthy offensively. Kenny McIntosh is another guy I know, like, he didn't pull his groin, but he, but there, oh, I'm sorry, his hamstring, uh, it's Jermaine Burton who had the groin issue. He didn't pull the hamstring, but it was really tight, and we've been very cautious with that. When we have the wealth of riches that we do at running back, there's no need to kind of exacerbate that issue, and I would really like to get Kenny McIntosh back, because I think he's a playmaker for us. I really do. I think he's a, a great all-around running back for us, a really, really, really good, undervalued player. So I think we'll, there's a really good chance we get him back as well. Defensively, I think Chris Smith should be back as well. I think there's probably a chance he could have gone against Kentucky, but why risk? We have the bye week coming up and we trust Dan Jackson. So I think most of those guys get healthy. Pickens, I don't think, is going to be out there against Florida, or anything to that effect whatsoever. And before anyone asks, I'm just going to put that out there. But I think we're going to get much closer to being fully healthy than we have been at any point this season. The bye week could not have come at a better time.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipsyn Ads. Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L I B S Y N com.
0: right, our friend Reggie wants to know, do you think facing Levis this week ultimately helped the dogs r- limit Richardson, excuse me, in Jacksonville? Assuming Mullen finally stops giving Jones chances.
2: Do you think that Emory Jones is going to be on the bench for this game? Do you think that he's actually going to start Anthony Richardson?
0: I have no idea.
2: Well, damn well, I don't know. Did you see the tweet that Anthony Richardson put out after the game? No. You didn't see it? I mean, I don't have it directly in front of me right now, but it was was essentially saying, like, a reporter asked him, maybe it wasn't a tweet, I think it was at a press conference, Oh, is this
0: the one where it was like, "Well, time will tell yeah, if I stay." Yeah. Okay, yeah, time, yeah, he's yeah, like yeah, are, yeah.
2: are you uh, how are you feeling about like being with the program now? It's like time will tell. I'm a Florida Gator right now. Yeah,
0: that's not exactly a uh, positive response.
2: Yeah, and he put a tweet out later saying, "Oh no, my, my, like they said I was, I was like misinterpreted. I, I, I didn't get my point across. I'm, I'm glad to be a Florida Gator." Like that's not what you said. dude. We'll
0: be interesting to see how the uh, coaching staff handles that one.
2: Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, great question, Reggie. Uh, I'm glad you brought this up because this is going to be another question that we're going to talk about a lot over the next couple of weeks leading into this game. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Emery Jones? Is it going to be Anthony Richardson? At this point, we don't know. I, I would not be surprised if it's Anthony Richardson. He obviously basically closed out that game against LSU. And I know, obviously, the Florida fans are all, I mean, all really all season, they've been begging for Anthony Richardson. They've been kind of salivating for this guy, and Mullins been just so like absurdly clownishly stubborn like he always is. It's just everything he does has to be clownish. It just is. That's just Dan That's fine. He can't help himself. This just is who he is. Um, but I think at this point now, they got three losses and I mean, they're out of the SEC championship race. They're out of the SEC East race. So I think at this point, why are you going with a guy who's quote unquote more experienced, even though is he really that much more experienced? He's been around for a long time, but he hasn't really done anything. And oh, by the way, I put this tweet out there. Can we Can we now just stop with this Dan Mullen quarterback whisperer narrative. Can we just stop that? Because no one in the national media will acknowledge that. They only acknowledge the quarterbacks that Dan Mullen does a good job with. The guys like Felipe Franks who transferred out. The guys like Nick Fitzgerald who never really developed under Dan Mullen. Guys like Emory Jones who have been with him for four years. They've never developed. They just conveniently never mention those quarterbacks. It's only the quarterbacks like Kyle Trask that he does a good job with. and Dak Presa. Basically, as far as people are concerned, Dan Mullen's only coach, Dat Prescott, Kyle Trask, and oh yeah, he was offensive coordinator for Tim Tebow, quarterback whisper, hundred percent quarterback whisper. Those other guys? Oh no, let's just let's just not talk about those guys. It's just it's crazy to me, man. That's just the media, baby. Narratives they they get a narrative, they sink their teeth into it, and they will not let it go, no matter what evidence comes up to the contrary. But yeah, if I had to put my money on right now, I'd probably go with Richardson being the guy. I think we'll probably see both guys. And, and you know, that makes it tough to prepare for. And it's, you know, it's a whole different thing. there's similar-ish quarterbacks. But facing Levis, I do think it helps to a degree. And like this three weeks in a row, we face dual threat quarterbacks. I mean, I know they're all different in their own ways. I think Levis and KJ Jefferson are more similar than, like they, than Bo Nix because those guys are bigger athletic physical runners from the quarterback position. I think Richardson kind of fits that mold. He's not quite as big and physical as, in my opinion, as Jefferson and Levis, but he's more in that vein. Um, He doesn't, him or Emory Jones, neither one of those guys kind of run around and create and do like backyard football like backyard Bo Nix does. Um, They don't send plays like that, but they're, they're really athletic. I think playing these mobile quarterbacks these last three games in a row, I think that certainly does help us. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what Dan Mullen does at that position. So we're going to be prepared, honestly, for either guy. We don't know who it's going to be. Uh, my money's on Richardson, but uh, we'll see how that kind of plays out.
0: Barry wants to know if you're glad we don't have to play Florida in Gainesville. He would prefer the neutral site over giving them any advantage, and he never wants to go there in person.
2: Um, this is an interesting question, Charlie. I, I'm glad that we're not playing them on the road, right? Definitely. I'd rather play them a neutral site even though the game is in the state of Florida, than in Gainesville. Definitely agree there, Barry. Um, But you guys know it's well-documented on this show. Um, I I don't want to speak for you, Charlie. I certainly do not like Jacksonville, Florida, at least downtown Jacksonville, Florida. It's got nothing there. So, like, I'm sure Gainesville is terrible. I've never been to Gainesville. I don't know. I can't really speak from experience. But I also like going to different campuses and seeing everything. So, like, I don't know. Like, at some point, wouldn't it be kind of, like, cool in a way, just, like, one time to go to Gainesville I'd like to play them there. I mean, I will. I'll give Barry credit. I totally agree with you, Barry. That I mean, playing them in Gainesville would certainly be a much tougher environment. We don't want anything to potentially derail our season right now. So yes, I'm glad it's in Jacksonville this year because we've got what's lining up to be, a, hopefully, knock on wood, 17 different times, uh, a special season. But I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to just like checking it out, seeing a game there because I, I just that's something I like to do. Just go to different campuses, different experiences, different environments, and I wouldn't hate to do that maybe just one time.
0: Okay. Alexander wants to know, what is your biggest concern for this team down the stretch for the rest of the season?
2: Biggest concern the rest of the way. All right. So you guys listen to the show. You know that uh, by nature, I just worry about everything when it comes to Georgia football. And that's, I don't know, maybe a a slight exaggeration. I know that we're very, very good. I've made that clear all season long. But there are some areas on this team. I I don't want to, they're not deficiencies. I don't think that we are deficient anywhere. I think that there are some spots where we are not as talented and we are not necessarily like elite like we are in other spots on this football team with this roster. I think, off the top of my head here, I'm going to go secondary. I think has you guys know, going back to the offseason, I I, I have been saying for a while that I thought the, the concerns over the secondary were overblown. I understand why there were concerns. We lost a lot of guys from that secondary last year. I mean, we lost eight guys from our, from our depth chart last year. That's a concern with inexperience, youth, all those things. But getting some transfers in, in there, especially Darion Kendra, obviously Tyke Smith. God, it really sucks for him, man. I, I hate I hate this for him. That battle bats get back from the foot injury and the ACL. It's just terrible. So I, I, I can't wait to see him back next year, hopefully. But all in all, I felt that those concerns were a little overblown, especially when you have a you had two really good experience. Safety's coming back. Obviously, Seen had more experience than Chris Smith, but Chris Smith got at least half the year, last year as a starter. I thought he played very, very well. So I felt those concerns were a little bit overblown, but I will say I do not think that we are elite in the secondary across the board. I think that we have some really, really good players who know what to do and don't really blow assignments all that often, especially at the safety position. Obviously, you guys have a little bit of an experience over there. Keeley Ringo, but he's getting more and more experience. With each and every game. I, I just don't think that we are like overall elite in the secondary and we are razor thin back there. That's a big concern of mine. Uh, just just the, the depth in the secondary right now. I mean, Dan Jackson has done a really good job filling in for Chris Smith right now. I think Smith will be back for Florida. So if Dan Jackson, I mean, where would we be without Dan Jackson right now? I mean, what, what, what a big time find by Kirby Smart and just a great job by Dan Jackson, putting himself in position to really contribute to this team in a big way. But the fact is, we have not been challenged by anyone through the year. We probably won't be throughout the rest of the regular season. I mean, Florida, I'm sure they'll try to attack the secondary, but are they equipped to do that? I, I, right now, I, I don't think you can say yes on a consistent basis. Missouri might be the team that can challenge us the most the year. Bays lacks a good quarterback. They just don't have elite receivers right now. Maybe the answer is Tennessee on the road. Maybe Hendon Hooker and, and some of their young receivers... Like Hyatt, they grow up and continue to improve. And with obviously Josh Heupel's offense, you know, maybe they start to challenge a little bit more through the year, but they're still not an elite passing offense. Georgia Tech's on an elite passing offense. So we just don't really have that kind of offense the rest of the way during the regular season. But when we get into the SEC championship game, we don't blow it down the stretch, talk on wood. Um, if, if we are fortunate enough to get in the Costwell playoff, we're going to eventually face a team that can challenge us in that way through the year. I mean, if you look at Oklahoma right now, first couple of weeks of the year, did not look great with Spencer Rather quarterback. Their passing game was a shell of what it once was. really Their entire offense was a shell of what it once was. Caleb Williams, I know it's an extraordinarily small sample size. He looks, based on early returns, to have really activated that offense. Look, I mean, last week, I watched that game against TCU. I mean, that looked like the old-school Oklahoma offense back like when we played Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma back in 2017 in that Rose Bowl. That's the team that can challenge you vertically through the air. If you Ohio State right now, I know that there were uh, some slight ups and downs there with C.J. Stroud to open the season, but man, he is really coming on right now. He's putting up big-time numbers. They have an incredible trio of receivers there. That is a team, if we end up playing them, that could absolutely challenge us through the year. Alabama can challenge us through the year. I don't think Bryce Young is as good right now as Tua was or as Max Jones was when we played them. And I don't think the receivers are as good. But that's still a team that absolutely will challenge us at the very least through the year. So those teams are, they're in front of us probably somewhere down the way, just maybe not in the regular season. And I, I'm not saying that our secondary cannot hold up against those kind of passing offenses, but we I, I will say we haven't seen it. And I do have some concerns there. And I think honestly, those kind of teams will probably be able, I mean, likely be able to score more points on us than any of the teams we face at this point, also because they're just really good and they're really talented in their own right. I do like how we've been able to create pressure in the quarterback and how we've been able to just Disrupt so much of what offenses are trying to do. I think that will really help any kind of issues that we have in secondary. But again, I don't know if that's a deficiency, but it is a, it is a concern of mine because we just haven't seen it yet. And I, I think there's a chance we get we could be just fine. I think we probably will be okay, but we just don't know. We haven't seen that yet. Another issue that I'm looking at right now is the offensive line. I don't think we're elite on the, along the offensive line as a unit. I think we're good to very good at times on the offensive line. I still do not like just. I mean, watch the game on on. Saturday, guys, go back and rewatch that. We were not getting a ton of movement on the interior of that offensive line. We're just not, and that was without Kentucky's top two defense, interior defensive linemen. So that's still a concern of mine. Like we've run the ball well, much better the past couple weeks, but when you go up against some of the top defenses in the country, and Kentucky's really good on defense. Don't get me wrong, they really are, and Auburn's good on defense. But you know, there's, we're going to play better defenses, and can we get enough movement to run the football? Because right now, I'm concerned. Like, we don't. If we can't run the football, what does that look like offensively? Now, we've seen that a little bit with, with JT Daniels, going, going back to last year, but we haven't really seen it with Stetson this year. Like, he's been able to operate with an offense that has the, the the running game really going, hitting some play action shots off that. What if we play a team that we're not able to get that kind of movement? We can't really run the football like we want to, because it happened a couple of times last year, and we almost lost Mississippi State at home because of that. We almost lost to Cincinnati. Cincinnati because of that, because we couldn't run the football. So it's probably going to happen at some point this season. We're probably going to play somebody that's going to be able to really limit what we do in the run game. And we're going to have to win with the pass game. And I think we can do that this year. We talked about that with Todd Bunke. I think we've shown already this season that we can win in different ways. We can do whatever we need to. We have enough flexibility and versatility offensively to win however it is that we need to win. But I still have some some concerns about the offensive line, especially if we face a really, really, really good defensive front, but probably, and honestly, it's not even probably. My biggest concern is just the injury situation. I think we are getting closer to getting back to full health. We're not there yet, but I, that's my concern right now. That that's the biggest thing, biggest issue in my mind that can derail this team is the injuries. We've got to get guys back healthy as soon as possible because we got to get them back in game shape before we hit this stretch run. It's nice to have the bye week right now. I think it's gonna let a lot of guys heal up. When you get JT back, I, I want the best man to, be, to have that job. And those guys, he needs, needs to get healthy so he can go and compete with Stetson to make his case and, and so we can get the best guy out there. Heck, I'd love to get George Pickens back. I, I mean, we'll see what happens there. But to me, my biggest concern is health. We got to get the receivers back healthy. We've got to get Chris Smith back healthy. We got to get Kenny McIntosh back healthy. We got to get JT Daniels back healthy. It sucks that Tyke's out. But we've got to get some of these guys back, and uh, once we do that, then I, I'll feel much better about things, right? I mean, I, f- I still feel really good about where we are, but there's always that concern in, my, in the back of my mind of like, man, okay, these injuries, these injuries, and I just, I, I think it's incredible what we've been able to do and how we've been able to dominate teams despite all the injuries to this point. But how, how sustainable is that long term? when We start to play some of these better teams eventually. So getting guys healthy is a concern, and also making sure we don't have any more significant injuries that could derail our season.
0: Uh, Your friend G wants to know your thoughts on the Tennessee Ole
2: Miss game. Did you catch any of that, especially the end?
0: I will say um, Georgia players and coaches watch out for flying objects.
2: Like That was one of the most pathetic displays I've seen in my years watching any college sport. I mean, the Tennessee fans were throwing so much junk on the... F- and it wasn't just like, you know, water bottles. Water bottles are one thing, but like golf balls and mustard. Did you say like a mustard, a bottle of mustard was thrown on the field? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you get to the point where the players cannot safely stand on the sideline and you have to basically evacuate the student section, Well, this that's is why
0: problem. they used to take the tops off of water bottles. So I, yeah. I bet that will start happening again. Yeah. And you don't get God, the top so to normal. your water
2: bottle. But it, I mean, can you think of a more pathetic display <laughs> in your lifetime watching college sports?
0: I mean, if I thought about it, I probably Maybe could. Maybe you could. I just,
2: like, it's just, what a, and I, I don't want to generalize here and say all Tennessee fans because every fan base has idiots. We have them too. Every fan base does. But dear God, right now, Tennessee fans have to be at the top of, like, worst fans in the country list right now based off that display. And it, I know it wasn't everybody. I know it was a lot of students. I get that. But that was just god-awful. That cannot happen. But as for my thoughts on that game, man, that was a fun one to watch. That was that was probably other than our game, the game I was most excited about watching last weekend. And I was excited about you know most of the SEC games actually. I was excited about Auburn and Arkansas. That was a really interesting game. I was kind of excited about LSU Florida. Not as excited because I didn't think LSU was going to be able to do what they did. But that was a really fun game to watch coming into our game. But coming back home, walking home after the game, and then turning on that Ole Miss Tennessee game, man, that was a fun game to watch. And my first reaction here is. Matt Corral. Jesus, Matt Corral is a beast. He, That dude is carrying that offense. I mean, they've got some injuries in that offense. Braylon Sanders went out early in the game, like the first driver too. He's their best receiver. They're already without Jonathan Mingo. I mean, they had some really young guys who don't play a lot at receiver. And Matt Corral, I mean, did you guys see, he basically ran for 200 yards. He carried the ball like 30 times. He is an absolute warrior. That is a dude that has grown up and matured a lot coming into, remember his first year, guys, when he first got to college, this is a guy that was kind of a punk, like, not even kind of, he just was a punk, like, picking fights on the field, like, just doing stupid, stupid stuff. This guy's really grown up under Lane Kiffin, and he's become a flat-out leader and an absolute beast and the guy that I'm rooting for. And I like watching him play. Think about this guy's too. I think about this over the weekend watching that game. It's like, hey, remember we were recruiting Matt Corral really hard? It, it was the same year that Justin Fields came out, and Trevor Lawrence came out, and. Uh, We were probably going to get either Justin Fields or Matt Corral. And if we didn't get Fields, you're probably going to get Matt Corral. We got Fields, and then, you know, we know the rest is history, what happened there. But then Corral goes to Florida, Mullen comes in and uh, Corral doesn't think he really fits that system he decommits and he ends up going to Ole Miss and then you know that, that was with Matt Luke there and then Lane Kiffin ends up coming in and he almost lost that job he didn't lose that job to John Rice Plumley when Rich Rod was their offensive coordinator and then Kiffin comes in he's a much better fit but think about if we had Matt Corral guys like that was a real possibility at one point it almost happened like we didn't get Justin Fields like like in some weird way did landing Justin Fields cost us a national championship like I know that you can say well you know Starting Jake Fromm costs us national championship, but like, what if we didn't get Justin Fields and we got Matt Corral? Maybe Matt Corral would have been more willing to sit behind Jake Fromm because I mean he stayed at Ole Miss and fall for that job, even though he kind of lost it out to John Rice Plumlee. He stayed and fall for that job when when Lane Kiffin came in, so maybe he would have stuck around behind behind Jake Fromm and tried to beat him out in 2019. Maybe he would have won that job and. And then our offense is certainly different than the Ole Miss offense. It's very different than what Lane Kiffin does. But Matt Corral has turned into a beast, man. I mean, it's, you know, it's revisionist history. You don't know how that would have played out. But it's just like my mind went there this weekend. It's like, man, you know, we almost got Matt Corral. And uh, he has really turned into an incredible player. And, and Ole Miss is just a fun team to watch. Their defense is obviously not good but their defense is not as bad as it was last year. And everyone really gave them all sorts of grief after that Arkansas game last week. They gave up like 650 yards of offense, but that's the only game this season they've given up more than like 470 yards of offense. And I know that's not a very high standard. 475 yards, not high standard, but when you are literally the worst defense in college football last year and one of the worst defenses in the SEC in the past 10 to 15 years, that's progress. Yeah, 676 yards to art against Arkansas. But 355 against Louisville, 374 against Austin P. I know it's Austin P, whatever. Uh 305 against Tulane, only 451 against Alabama, 467 against Tennessee. So yeah, they're not good defensively, but they're so much better than they were last year. And no, their offense is not quite as dynamic as it was last year with Elijah Moore, but it's still a really, really dynamic offense, as dynamic offense as there is in the SEC, as balanced as an off- of an offense as there is in the SEC. That's a really good team. I think they'll probably win 9 or 10 games this year. And Tennessee, on the other side, they have a legitimate chance to win that game. Tennessee is better than I thought they were. Their move, I think making the move to Hendon Hooker was uh, the right move, starting Joe Milton. like They should be they should be embarrassed they started Joe Milton in the first place. Like that, like I, they should get credit for making the move to Hinton Hooker. But Heupel should get a lot of a, a lot of criticism for starting Joe Milton because Joe Milton was not the guy to fit his system. I, I don't I don't know what they're looking at there, and it was pretty clear from like really week one. So Hinton Hooker has really kind of changed what they're doing offensively a little bit. He's he's much more efficient, much more of a. An efficient downhill passer. He also has very similar ability to run the football like Joe Milton does. Maybe not quite as dynamic with his legs as Joe Milton, but not too far off. Defensively, Tennessee still got problems. They're not great, but they're they are better than I thought they would be. They'll probably win. I think. I think right now, if I look at their schedule, it, it's a tough stretch for them. I think they're going to get to a bowl game right now. I think they'll probably get to six and six with a very outside shot at getting to seven wins, and that's more than I thought they would be able to do coming into the season.
0: Alright, well we know you're going to do a preview show for the Florida game next week, so just give us a brief answer on this question from Charlie. He wants to know if Florida is just sandbagging us so that we'll be overconfident in the next two weeks. Also, what most concerns you about their team coming into Jacksonville? And are you as glad as he is that we got to see Richardson more this week so he wouldn't be a complete surprise to the Dogs?
2: Yeah, great question. Really appreciate this, man. It's a really good question. Obviously, we'll get into this a lot more next week when we start to get into our preview of the game in Jacksonville against the rival Florida Gators. But is Florida just sandbagging us so that we'll be overconfident in two weeks? Like, I watching that game against LSU is one of those weird moments where it's like, I hate Florida so much and I want them to lose every single game they play. But Florida winning that game is better for us because it's better for our resume if we be a team that doesn't have an extra loss to a bad LSU team. And Florida losing that game certainly, uh, look, they're going to be motivated to beat us regardless. They're going to play the number one team in the country in two weeks here. They're going to be motivated to beat us no matter what. It's its a big rivalry game, so I that, i think this is a little bit overplayed, but you also don't want them to have the extra motivation of, hey, they just got beat, and they want to come out and make amends for that. You get the coach to get their attention a little bit more, all those things, but again, like I, I, I think they already were going to have their attention. I think they already were going to be motivated heading into this game, so I don't know if that's that much of a factor, um, but I mean, it, it I know this is all tongue in cheek, Charlie. We were saying, "Is Florida just sandbagging us? We'll be overconfident in two weeks." I th- here's the thing: I, I guarantee you that we are going to be extraordinarily focused and just as, if not more, mo- motivated when this football game than Florida is because we had the revenge factor from last year. Uh, but what concerns me most about their team coming into Jacksonville, we'll talk more about this next week, of course. But just give you like a, a quick little spoiler here. I'm always concerned about dual threat quarterbacks. It just makes a team really difficult to defend because it makes the run game itself much harder to defend because it gives the offense a numbers advantage. And one thing I told you guys I have a concern about is: I, is our secondary truly elite? I don't think that you can say that the answer to that question is yes right now. So what we've been able to rely on is we're able to play uh, play more coverage back there. We're able to, to keep. Shell over the top, protect those cornerbacks, especially a guy like Keely Uringo more than we have in the past. We're not relying on man coverage as much, like the press man stuff that Kirby's liked and been kind of partial to for so long, because we're able to stop the run with even numbers with our front six. It's harder to do that against a team like Florida that runs the ball as well as they do with their quarterback. And we've seen that to, to some sort of a degree with, I guess, with, with Arkansas. And, like, Bo Nix doesn't really do a ton of – Auburn doesn't do a ton of design runs with Bo Nix. And Levis, they didn't do a ton of design runs with him last week with Kentucky. A couple here and there, but not really a ton. Um, so I, I, it just makes the run game that much more difficult to stop. And that's something that I'm always concerned about when playing a team like that. Can we still defend them with even numbers in the box and still – Contain their run game because they're. I mean, Kentucky. I thought was gonna be a good challenge for us in the run game. They have a really good offensive line. And I thought we really like. I don't know if we dominated their offensive line, but we certainly got the better of that offensive line. Florida's in a challenge. us just in a different way because they have that that quarterback that's more of a, a dynamic threat on the ground. So that it's that's what concerns me. It's not so much like are they going to just be able to throw the ball over the field on us. What makes it easier for them to throw the football is when they can force us to bring guys in the box. If we're having issues defending them with even numbers, because again, to get a numbers advantage when you're running back now, it turns into a blocker essentially, that makes it harder to defend. And that gives them more one-on-one opportunities Uh, on the back end a little bit more, and that just makes them tougher to defend in general. So that's, that is a concern for me. And uh, last part here, am I glad that we got to see Anthony Richardson more against LSU, so he wouldn't be a a complete surprise to us? Um, Yeah, yeah, I am. I don't think he would have been a complete surprise to us anyway. If you're playing Florida, you got to prepare for Richardson, but he hasn't played a ton. So seeing him play more extended minutes and more extended snaps, I guess, it's not college basketball, it's college football, more snaps, then I, I do think that gives us more film, obviously gives us more film to operate off of and gives us a better chance to prepare for him. So yeah, I'm glad that we got to see more of him. I wish we know for sure who was going to start, who's going to see the lion's share of the snaps. We don't know that. I think they'll both probably play, like I said earlier, but I, right now if I put my money on it after all that LSU game went and where Florida is right now in the season. I would put my money on Richardson to be the guy who gets the majority of the snaps in that game, at least to open up and see how he can respond. If it doesn't go well, then I guess you can turn to Emery Jones. I think Richardson will certainly get the first look there. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. As always, we really do, guys. We sincerely appreciate you taking time out of your day and listening to us, supporting us here, interacting with us on social media. We really, really do appreciate that. You guys are what drives this show. and We can never thank you guys enough for that. So uh, enjoy the rest of your bye week. We will, we're not done. Charlie and I will be back later this week with our picks of the week episode. I'll try to work another episode if we get a chance to. I got some things going on. We don't have a we don't have a game to preview this week. So we don't have that, but I'll see if I can work in something else. If not, we will definitely at least at the very least have the picks of the week episode at the end of the week. So we don't take weeks off with that. And then obviously next week leads us right into the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. And we will have a ton of coverage. For that big game for you guys next week. But thanks for listening, guys. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go, dogs!